All right, so we're in Psalm chapter 20, Psalm chapter 20, we're going to try 20 and 21 this morning, see how we do. If you're new or visiting, we're just going through the book of Psalms, verse by verse, and we'll go through all 150 of them sooner or later. Father, we just thank you uh, for this morning, and again, we just continue in our worship, Lord, we love your word, and we thank you for your word that... That we have the truth sitting on our laps right here, right now. As the world is trying to find truth and the world is even making up their own truths. Lord, we thank you that we can just go back to the simple truth. Unchanged, foretold that we are going to be in these days we're in. We are in desperate days. So Lord, we need more of your Holy Spirit. And we need to remain in the truth with our neighbors, our co-workers with our family members with with those relationships where there might be conflict because of the changing truths of our world lord help us to stand fast to remain steadfast in your word that we would not compromise we would not waver but we would speak the truth in love lord i pray for the gift of teaching this morning in jesus name amen Amen. Well, Psalm 20 and 21 actually go hand in hand. Psalm 20 will show us the preparing of the nation, a prayer for the day of battle. And Psalm 21 will give us the follow-up discourse for the victory of the nation after the battle. Let's look at, even though you're in Psalms 20, go ahead and stick your finger there or something else. And let's look at First Chronicles 19. First Chronicles 19. And I believe this gives us the background for these two psalms. Can't absolutely say for sure, but I think it's a pretty good indication. First Chronicles 19 verse 16 says, Now when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and brought the Syrians who were beyond the river. And Safak, the commander of Hadadazer's, army went before them when it was told david he gathered all israel crossed over the jordan and came upon them and set up in battle array against them so when david had set up in battle array against the syrians they fought with him then the syrians fled before israel and david killed seven thousand charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians, and killed Sophak, the commander of the army. And when the servants of Hadadazer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with David and became his servants. So the Syrians were not willing to help the people of Ammon anymore. So now back in Psalm 20, with that little bit of background, hopefully the psalm will make a little more sense. Psalm 20, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. And remember, they're songs, so a song of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Now, as we read these first five verses, the nation is praying for their king that he be victorious in the day of battle. You see, the king was obviously the national representative, but was to be a godly representative as well. So, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob 
defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Now, if you've been with us going through the Psalms, all these things should start making sense. Zion was where David lived. The tabernacle was in the area there. So the sanctuary, the presence of God. So all these little subtle little things are not so subtle. They're definite. They have definite meanings for you and me as well. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. Think about it. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Even the enemy knew the God of Israel. Because remember, they had come out of Egypt with many, many miracles. And so word had spread throughout the known world at this time about this God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. So it wasn't like they didn't know about that God. They just had their own gods that they chose to serve. And so they wouldn't submit to the God of the Hebrews. But when they would specifically go into battle, and you can read this as you read from Genesis to Revelation, when you get to Chronicles, when you get to Samuel, and you see the battles, you will, you will hear in those stories that the enemy would say, hey, focus on the king. Focus on the king. If we can kill the king, we'll cause dissension, division, disillusionment, but we got to get the king. Try to get the king. And they would have certain people that would specifically go after the king. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we read this verse. You probably have it memorized. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Which means the enemy desires to attack us in order to ruin our testimony. And we appreciate your prayers. And oftentimes people will say, well, you know, the, the enemy is really after the pastor. Because if he can get the pastor, that will cause dissension, disillusionment, possibly defeat. And in a sense, that's true. But I'm just a man. And there's another man that will come behind me if the Lord tarries that will be able to teach and carry on. We really need to be praying for one another. Because you are just as important as I am. Your testimony actually is probably even more important than mine. Because you take your testimony with you, not mine. And so people are looking at you, they're watching you. How do you work? Are you on time? Are you lazy? Are you the best worker at the job site? How are you doing in your studies? What comes out of your mouth? Does your mouth match what you supposedly say you do? Does it match your, does your talk match your, match your walk? These are all things that are very, very important for you. And the enemy wants to destroy your testimony. So that others might become discouraged or disillusioned with Christianity. And I think that's one reason why we have the problem we have today in Christianity. Because the media loves promoting those who have fallen. There's no perfect person. There's no perfect pastor. We all make mistakes because we're human. But there's no perfect dentist either. There's no perfect doctors. There's no perfect teachers. But we as pastors are called to a higher calling. And so we have to be more responsible in that area of our lives. Because it can cause disillusionment. But I don't want to place it all on me. Let me place it on you as well. 
You can have some of that blessing. You can cause disillusionment for your coworkers when they look at how you're living, your lifestyle. They can be saying, well, what good is Christianity doing for you? You just worry, worry, worry. It's all you do all day long. You just worry. You just talk about worry, 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 worry. What good is your God? You know, you're frustrated a lot. You're frustrated with the coworkers. You're frustrated with the employees. What good is your God? So guys, know that your testimony is very vital, very vital in the kingdom of God. And people are watching. And the enemy wants to come at you to destroy. Can't take your salvation, but he can ruin your testimony just as well as he can try to ruin mine. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul makes this analogy for us here. It's in a very important analogy, especially these days we're living in. And I want to commend you for those who are doing the book. You're investing in the kingdom of God. You know, the beauty of intolerance. And if you'd like to get the book, I think we still have some. You can always get it. But that book is going to help us do what Paul is telling us to do right here. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? There's only one first place winner in every race. Now, I know every nowadays every child gets a trophy, which they shouldn't, but, you know, that's, oh, everybody, you know. And, and I've even heard my sister-in-law is a, a teacher at, at a junior high, and in some cases they, they've said they don't even want the, to keep score. I'm like, come on, get over this. This is ridiculous. But let's, you know, let's just wimp, a, let's just create wimps out of everybody. Run in such a way that you may obtain. So what does Paul say? There's only one winner. He's using a physical analogy to teach a spiritual principle. In a race, there's only one winner. Now, we're all winners, we're all saints, we're all going to heaven, so we're not racing against each other. So, you know, don't even go down that road. We're not competing against each other. That's, that's not it. He's making a point here, as he goes on to say, for everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Temperate there is self-control. I don't understand athletes, especially Olympians, where they will train and train and train. For four years, eat right, sleep right, exercise like crazy, go to the Olympics and lose by one-tenth of one second. <laughs> like, I could have been, done a lot better for the last four years having fun. <laughs> one-tenth of one second. Do you guys know who won the 100-yard dash You know, in the 64 Olympics? Anybody know that? Does anybody care? Probably not. But they did at the time. They wanted it. They wanted that gold, the silver, the bronze. There's only three winners and there's only one gold. Obviously, everybody wants the gold. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. Because we're going to heaven. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, so Paul now takes that, that physical analogy and he now starts to apply a spiritual principle. I'm not running like I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. So I'm going to run with a plan, with my eyes set on the goal for the prize and not a prize that deteriorates. You know, right now we're, we're helping clean up a, a house of a widow and it's like, I don't want to get too detailed. Anyways, it's like, why? Why save all this stuff? 
for somebody to have to come behind you and throw it out. It's like, what's the point? Get rid of it before you die. Do us all a favor. Get rid of it before you die. Make it easy on everybody. It's like, what's the point? Paul's saying, hey, I run. I, I run with certainty. Thus, I fight. Notice what he says here. I fight. Not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Notice the, the terminology that, that Paul is using here. I discipline. Basically, he's saying I beat my body black and blue. Now, not physically, but he's using the analogy of a fighter. They get into the ring and they beat each other up for that ultimate championship fight. They get bruises. They get wounds. Paul's using that same analogy. analogy. What are we doing? Lest, when I have preached to others, now here's the point, I myself should become disqualified. He doesn't say you lose your salvation. That, that's not even the issue. Don't even go down that road because that's not even the issue. But you become disqualified. Well, how would I become disqualified? Well, if you're doing, if you're living a willful, disobedient lifestyle and you go to your coworkers and try to share with them Jesus and they know you're living a willful, disobedient lifestyle, your testimony is disqualified. Now, they might not say anything, but in their mind, you're saying they need Jesus. And they're looking at you and go, well, you got Jesus and you're no different than me. So why do I need Jesus? Guys, this is reality. Young people, this is reality. You're an ambassador for Christ. I'm an ambassador for Christ. So if we want people to come to Christ, we should be living differently. We should be living like Christ and giving that example of Christ so that others would have a desire. Jesus said, you're going to be the salt Salt does what? It preserves, but it also causes a thirst. Others, we should be, our lifestyle should be causing a thirst in other people's lives. Why do you have peace, you know? There's chaos. Why do you have peace? Well, because I, I have Christ and he's given me peace. Well, how can you be calm? What's happening in your family? Look at what's happening in your family. How can you be calm? Because I have the Holy Spirit within me and, and he's called the comforter, the helper. He can strengthen me. See, all of a sudden, now your testimony means something and they actually pay attention because your walk matches your talk. But be careful, guys, that we don't disqualify ourselves. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20. And see how the word encourages the warrior to prepare for battle. Because you and I, guys, we are in a battle. And we might read this and go, well, you know, we're not getting ready for physical battle. Well, praise God, we're not. But we do have an army and we thank God for that army that does prepare for battle. And that's why we have the freedoms we have today because of the veterans who have gone before us to keep our freedoms, our freedoms. So in Deuteronomy 20, we read this. When you go out to battle, Moses speaking to the Israelites against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. David killed 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers of the Assyrians. Not Assyrians, of the Syrians. This was an intense battle that David was heading into. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. I have that highlighted. For the Lord your God is with you. So it, sh- so it shall be when you are on the verge of the battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people 
And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. And do not tremble or be terrified because of them. Why? For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. What is the priest doing in these verses? He's lifting up the name of Jehovah. And notice what he says. Don't be afraid of what you see. It's the same for you and me today. Things come into our lives. We see. And we can immediately panic. But rather trust in the God whom you don't see. As we look back in Psalm chapter 20, or Psalm 20, not chapter, Psalm 20 verse 5. We'll rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. They were trusting in the God whom they did not see. They were focusing upon him so that their hearts would be encouraged as they were going off to battle. So as we look at these opening verses here, prayer, I mean, what is in these verses? They are praying. Praying is obviously very important. And notice it's not one person's prayer, David's prayer, but it's a group of people praying. And I encourage you to join us on Saturday mornings, every Saturday morning, 52 weeks a year, we have prayer from 8.30 to 9.30 in the, in the teacher's lounge in the Sunday school, every single Saturday morning. One hour. We start at 8.30, we end at 9.30. And as you fill out requests, we encourage you to fill out requests. Those requests get prayed for for three months, and then we just we rotate them out. So please, fill out a request. Put them in the, in the agape boxes, and they will be prayed for for three months. Join us at that prayer time. Don't leave it up to other people. You be a part of that. Come together. For prayer is one of the foundational truths of our Christian faith. Well, even more specifically, aside from Saturday morning, which we do do this, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. How can we apply this principle to our lives today? Prayer. As the saints are lifting up the king before the battle, what should we be doing? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2 gives us very specific instructions. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings. What? Paul, you're, un- you're under Caesar Nero. That guy's a nut. And you're saying to pray for him? Pray for him? Why would we want to pray for him? Because he needs Jesus. Paul knew that. Paul needed Jesus. Paul was going to hell just like Caesar Nero was going to hell. Paul as a religious person was not better than Caesar Nero. They're both going to hell. Once Paul received Jesus as a savior, now I'm going to heaven. I'm going to spend eternity with God. It sure would be nice if Nero could spend eternity with God. So that has to be our ultimate goal. You know, for eight years, we didn't whine and complain about our previous president. We prayed for our previous president every Saturday morning and in our own private personal lives. And you should as well. Is our current president the answer to all our problems? Not. Not. Maybe we're getting a reprieve. I don't know. God does. But this I do know. The scriptures tell me that I, I, 
not somebody else, that I am supposed to be praying specifically for them. And all who are in authority, so our state leaders, our, our leaders here in the town of Queen Creek, why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, here's why we pray, who desires all men or all of mankind, male, female, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Our current president is only going to have so much power for so long, four years. But in his own mind, because he is such a wealthy man, he thinks he has a lot of power. One day he's going to take his last breath and he's not taking any of that power with him. It is all staying here. All his wealth, all his belongings, everything that he's ever accomplished, staying here. And when you read the whole book, it says everything here is all going to be burned one day. It's all going to burn. Gold, silver, everything is going to burn. So at the end of time, what's the point? It's only what we send before us that is of any value. So who desires all men to be saved? That's why we pray. That brothers and sisters around these people, I'm never going to be around them most likely, but we do have brothers and sisters around them that they will be bold, that they will proclaim the gospel, that they will have strength to do what they can do with their testimony and with their witness to possibly win them to Christ. So as we look back in Psalm 20, as we can move on now, David reassures the people that God truly does hear their prayers and that the Lord will answer them from heaven in verses 6 through 8. So again, David reassures the people that God truly does hear their prayers and that the Lord will answer them from heaven. I want to reassure you of that as well. God does hear our prayers and he does answer. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Again, I have this verse highlighted in my Bible, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. You see, David was anointed king over Israel and God had given him supernatural power over his enemies. Notice the right hand. That's always symbolic of strength in verse 6 there, at the end of verse 6. Then David gives us a great proverb in verse 7 there. You see, people today still trust in their own abilities where the believer can simply trust in the name of the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life where somebody looks at you and, and things don't look very good. And you just say, well, you know, I'm just going to trust in the Lord. And they kind of do that dog thing where their head just kind of goes sideways. Huh? They don't get it. They don't understand. And they might even mock you for it. Oh, you're just going to trust in the Lord, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to trust in the Lord. It might seem oversimplistic. But if it goes back to what we talked about last week, if God spoke everything into being, do you think he can take care of your bills? I, I think so. So I just like being simple. You know what? God's going to take care of it. God has a plan. God has. A... See, see, David was able to look back and he built tremendous confidence in his God. God. David knew that God had never let him down and God would continue to be there for him. 
Well, how can you and I benefit from this? Well, let's look at Deuteronomy 17, because I mentioned this a few weeks back. And let's see how the king was to remember God and his ways. How are you and I supposed to remember as we look back? Well, Deuteronomy 17 gives us very specific, again, gives the king very specific information, but it's beneficial to us. Again, Moses says to the people, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. So Moses is actually prophesying. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself. So very specific instructions here. Now again, for you and I, this might not make a lot of sense, but in that day and age, if you had a horse going into battle, you had the upper hand. You had the upper hand. So horses are symbolic of military strength. So what is God saying here through Moses? Don't rely upon your military strength. But you shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. The first five books of the Bible. The king was supposed to write the first five books of the Bible as he sat on his throne. Now, if you and me were doing that every day, what would that keep our mind focused on? The word of God, obviously. And as we could continue to do it, we'd come across these verses. And if Solomon would have been doing that, Solomon would have realized, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm building up chariots. I'm, I'm, I'm marrying all these women. Silver in his day and age was counted as nothing. Step over it. It's no big deal. He did exactly what he shouldn't have done. In his later years. But yet in his early years, God said, I'm going to bless you with wisdom. And the word says he's the wisest man that ever lived. Really? He was. But what did he get away from? The word of God. The word of God. So for you and I, guys, we need to do the exact same thing. Not necessarily writing out the law of God, but reading the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. Every single day. And as we do that, our minds will stay focused. Notice he goes on to say, write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to reverence the Lord, fear the Lord, a healthy fear, his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Isn't that awesome? That's why I say it on a regular basis. Read from Genesis to Revelation. It's in the Torah. I didn't think there was anything good in the Old Testament. You haven't been reading it. Read from Genesis to Revelation. There's so much good in the Old Testament. 
Well, let's look at something in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. These verses you're probably familiar with. Because if God could deliver David, can he deliver me? Can he deliver you? Romans chapter 8, 31, Paul writes, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, notice that verse 38, Paul knew. He just didn't theorize. He knew. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, which would be everything, because God spoke everything into being, shall be able to what? Separate us. Separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. So back in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in the stock market. Some trust in their 401k. Some trust in their career. Some trust, fill in the blank. It's going to disappoint you sooner or later. It's going to disappoint you. Whatever you're trusting in, if it's not God, it will disappoint you. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Remember, they're going into battle. We've got forces. They've got forces. Do we have more than they? It doesn't matter. We've got God. They've got a problem. It's the same for us, guys. We've got God. Satan has a problem. When we stand on the word of God, Satan has a definite problem. Because the word of God says he must flee. When we draw near to God, he must flee. But we do have our responsibility of drawing near to God. David wraps it up with much the way, same way it was started. Save, Lord! May the king answer us when we call. And notice that I believe it's David because it has a capital K there. I believe that king is King Jesus, the whom we know, the, well, I should say the Messiah, whom we know to be King Jesus. May the king answer us when we call, and God did. As we read in Psalm 21, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. So again, as I mentioned at the beginning, this psalm is in response to the prayers of Psalm 20. It is a psalm of praise and adoration for the victories that were granted. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. For you have given him his heart's desire. Strength and salvation comes from God. We cannot arrive at either one apart from God. 
And I know it like with verse 2 here, you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Because we see in Psalm 37, 4 and 5 this, Dave, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your hearts. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Now we have to be careful with this because again, you can get into really bizarre teachings and my desire is for a new car, a fast new car, a shiny, fast, red new car, a shiny, fast, red, two-door car, a shiny, fast, red, two-door Mustang car. God wants to give you a car, but he can't give it to you because you're too specific. You want it exactly the way you want it to be. But when you start to take on God's ways, as I believe David did, you just cry out to God, God, I need a car. And God brings you a car and it's a piece of junk. You look at it and go, thanks God. Praise the Lord. It runs. It goes from point A to point B. I would have liked to have had air conditioning, but, you know, for, for I don't know, for the first eight or ten years in our marriage, we didn't have a car with air conditioning. And one of our cars was a blue boat. I think most of you have heard this, but it was a blue station wagon. One of those really blue, big blue station with the seat in the back that flipped up so you could look at the person behind you all the time. And that's kind of awkward, you know, looking at the car behind you on a regular basis. No air conditioning. We had air conditioning. Four windows at 45 miles an hour. And the interior was black vinyl. Oh, yes! It worked! Praise God. Thank you, God, for the car. We're not in debt. Debt Debt-free. Praise the Lord. What's your desire? The more you seek after God, the more you take on God's desires, and all of a sudden your desires are God's desires, and when you pray, you just go, thank you, God. It's a car. Praise the Lord. Let's move on. What's next? He's got other things to do. Stay focused. Verse 3, for you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trust in the Lord. And through the mercy of the Most High, he, the king, shall not be moved. Praise God. David proclaims here his trust in the Lord. And guys, you and me can do the exact same thing. Whatever we have, we're just trusting in the Lord. Thank God for it. 8 through 12, your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended evil against you. Notice this. David makes a point here. They were coming against David and the nation of Israel. But David said, no, they were coming against you. Because we represent you. The nation of Israel represents you. Who do you represent? Again, you're an ambassador for Calvary Chapel. No. Who are you an ambassador for? Christ. You represent Christ. So when they come at you for your Christian faith, when you say living good, living together is not acceptable, it's not an acceptable lifestyle, homosexuality is not an acceptable lifestyle, 
Doing drugs is not an acceptable lifestyle. And they come against you. You have to remember, they're not coming against me. They're coming against God's word. They're coming against God. I'm just going to keep loving them and speaking the truth in love. But guys, doesn't somebody have to speak the truth in love? If we all just don't say anything, what does the next generation have to cling to? Because they're getting it flushed down their throat 24-7. They got social media. They can get onto it any time. I encourage you parents, turn off your internet at a set time at night. Block your internet. Because the kids are up. If you don't think they are, they are. Teenagers are up one, two, three o'clock in the morning doing social stuff that they should not be doing. Don't be ignorant. Don't be unknowing. Be wise. Let them whine. Let them complain. Tell them to go to sleep. They'll get over it. Turn it off and then turn it on at an appropriate time. It's your house. Guard your house and guard your children. Be very, very careful. You see, as believers, the peace of God comes through obedience to his word. The enemy will lose every battle to an obedient child of God. Why did David win the battle here? Because he obeyed God. David lost other things. Why did he lose other things? And when did he lose other things? When he was disobedient to God. King Saul, the first king, won battles when he was obedient to God. When did he lose battles? Disobedient. Believers, we can win battles. When will we lose battles? When we're disobedient. It's the same thing, guys. It's the same thing. Don't make it a rocket science. It's very, very simple. Keep it simple. David proclaims here, For they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back. What the Syrians do? Israel started to fight with them. They turned around and fled. Did God do that or did David do that? God did that. God caused that to happen. Therefore, you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string towards their faces. Now David makes his proclamation. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. You know, as the music team comes up, John 12, 26 says this. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, Jesus says. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. I've mentioned this in previous studies, and I just want to bring it up again, because this is what Dave is saying. David is saying, I put you out front. We obeyed your word. What does God do? He honors that. He honors that. For you and me as well, as we put the word out front, as we live our lives according to the word, not according to the world, God is going to honor that. Let's look at Ephesians 6, verses that you're all familiar with, but we'll wrap it up with these verses to make this really applicable to you and I today. Because again, most of us are not going out and fighting physical battles, per se, like David and Solomon and many did. Well, Solomon was blessed. He had peace during his reign. But David had many, many battles. Ephesians 6, but we do have battles. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Notice what it says there. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, which we know to be the word of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles there means tactics of the devil. 
The enemy is out every day. And that's Satan. Don't, you know, Satan can only be in one place at one time. But he has fallen angels that are alongside of him. He is out trying to get us to trip up, to fall, to stumble, to try to ruin our testimony. So we got to put on the whole armor of God so that we become aware of the tactics of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Paul here, through the Holy Spirit, I think is referencing racks of ranks of demons. Various demons and the power that they have. Satan and other demons have a lot of power. But don't forget, we have God dwelling within us. So don't give him more power than he deserves. But don't think that he doesn't have any power at all. Don't have either extreme. He's not, he's not behind every bush. He's not behind every cold. There's just natural causes of the curse. But don't totally negate him as well. Verse 13. Therefore, so here's the exhortation at the end of the day for you and me. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you, every ambassador, not just the pastor, but every ambassador, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. That's the battle, guys. That's for you. That's for me. Stand in the battle. Don't sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. No, you stand. I stand. And God will have the victory. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. You are so good to us. You don't leave us orphans. But you give us your word. And Lord, I thank you and praise you for the days we live in. That we can simply trust in you. And the world looks at that as just, oh, you are such a weak person. But Father, at the end of the day, you give us strength beyond anything that this world could ever offer. You give us the peace that this world so longs to have. You give us that peace in our mind and in our hearts. Father, we just thank you and praise you for the simplicity of the gospel. Help us to keep it simple. Help us to lovingly keep things simple to our coworkers and our neighbors and our family members that they might come to know Christ. Father, help us to not argue religion but to take people to your love, that you love the whole world. You love the whole world. That we are created in your image and that you desire none to perish, but for all to come to everlasting life. Lord, as your ambassadors, give us strength this week to do even as Paul says, that we don't, we don't run in a race not knowing where we're going. We're going to heaven. We don't punch the air as, as we don't know where the enemy is. No, we know the enemy, where he is, and we need to be on our knees praying. Lord, that we would stay in the fight, that we would read from Genesis to Revelation, that we'd use your word against the enemy, for we are nothing against the enemy. But the enemy has to flee at your word. He has to. Lord, we just thank you for that simple fact. He has to. So Lord, help us to grasp that basic, simple principle more and more and more that we would use your word to fight our battles. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand? God bless you guys. Have a great 4th of July. Be safe out there. Um, The office will be closed, but uh, if you do need something, call.
uh, the office. We'll be checking in. If there's any emergencies, uh, get a hold of us. There's lots of you that have our phone numbers and stuff. Don't ever hesitate to call, even during the middle of the night. Sometimes I'm kind of amazed. Some people go to the hospital and we won't hear about it for several days. I'm like, come on, man. We want to bless you guys. We want to pray for you guys. Give us a call. Seriously, anytime, day or night, it's not an issue. God bless you guys. Have a great fourth. Be safe.